down setting. But what I've discovered is I, I don't know if anybody here has gone through what you would call a crisis of faith in your life where you really kind of stop the wait a minute, do I even believe this? Because something happened usually. Something has happened. Like, I don't know if I believe this or not. I have gone through a couple of those. And when that happens, what I find is it's kind of a free fall because suddenly nothing's making sense to you. When your faith is questioned, everything gets questioned. And um, what I discovered when the first time it happened was, you know, I really have a hand-me-down religion here. My father was a Presbyterian minister, and I love my father, and I trust my father. So when he told me Jesus Christ was the Son of God, okay, Dad, I believe that. And I kind of just accepted it, and it wasn't so weird to do that because back when that happened, we were a Christian nation. It was kind of weird if you weren't a Christian back then. And my friends all went to a church somewhere. We all called ourselves Christians. We all believe you need to be a good Christian, whatever that was, and a good American, whatever that was. But kind of we grew up with that, but it was a hand-me-down religion. I accepted it without really questioning it. And then when, I, you know, you do go through this moment in your life, kind of when you get older, you start questioning things. But I never really questioned that. I always kind of held on to that. And then when uh, my life kind of hit me hard, I started wondering, where's, you know, where's my Christianity right now? I realized I had never done the work to build the foundation for why I believe what I believe. And when you go through a crisis of faith, and I hope you never do, but if you have, I think you'll, you'll agree with this, there comes a moment you're kind of falling through everything you thought you believed, everything's questionable, they'll come to one thing you can say, wait a minute, now that's true, and you can put your foot down on it. Like, that's now solid. I know that's true. And then you can kind of start building up from there. And so to try to keep the fall from being further than it has to be, I'd like to kind of establish some of that foundation. That's what I had to do when I started writing this book, when God was challenging me, what do you really believe about me? Uh, I had to go through some questions I'd never asked before. But true religion, and I know, you know, it's not very nice to call Christianity religion. They're, oh, we're not religion, we're Christian. We're not religious, we're Christian. Yeah, it's a religion. Uh, you know, Christianity is a religion. And true religion has to start, should start, with hard questions that you ask and honestly answer. And I'm going to go through a series of them today and just going to give them to you ahead of time, let you know what we're going to be covering. Is there a God? Is God good and moral? Could there be more than one God? Some religions believe that. Or here's something I've been asked. Can't all religions just be worshiping the same God in different ways? We call them different things, but we all try to do the same thing. And if all these things shake out to there is one God and there's only one true religion, how can we know that ours is the one true religion? And we'll cover all that and we'll have lunch. You know, so there's a lot, lot here. But uh, so let me, let me start with the first one. Is there a God? What I want to say is yes, moving on. You know, I just like, of course there's a God. But I, I'm going to stop on it for just a moment because it's kind of a critical question. And there's a question that a lot of people don't answer yes anymore. Uh, I was on, you know, YouTube page looking for something. I saw this one thing and it was amazing to me, the comments, you know, that were coming out there. Uh, you know, there is no God. Now, um, we believe as Christians, again, going back to the Bible, which is our, our, our book of authority, that not only is there God, but he reveals himself to everyone. In fact, we quoted this scripture a lot lately, it seems, but it's in Romans, the book of Romans chapter one. What may be known about God is plain to men because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, its invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that the people are without excuse would. Paul is writing here, he says it's this simple. God has made himself clear to you, and if you are honest, if you follow the truth where it leads, you'll come to God's doorstep. The things that you see are going to bring you to God if you honestly pursue them, and you're going to start understanding the 
internal nature of God just by really studying what's around you. The knowledge of God is natural, internal, it's built into your DNA. So why are so many people saying there is no God? You know, we seem to have a culture that says that. Well, we've been going through this in the Thursday evening class. And I'm not going to rehash that. If those of you who haven't been able to make that class, uh, there's a lot of really good stuff there where we're showing the scientific evidence to, for creative design. Uh, it's actually excellent. But I'm not going to go through any of that at all today. Uh, because what Romans tells us is that it's intuitive. God, knowledge of God's intuitive. It's like, well, of course there's God. It's like, just natural to you to believe that. And so if that's true, I shouldn't need science to prove or disprove it. I should be able to just look at what I know, and that should lead me to God. So that's what I want to do. I do an exercise of looking what I know. Now, I meet a lot of these atheists, but none of them are really truly atheists. I, in my life, I've met one atheist, one true atheist. An atheist doesn't believe in God, but he does not believe in God. He doesn't think about God. It's like he has no hypothesis, so when he sees the evidence, he draws no conclusion. That's a true atheist, and, th and they'll tell you that. You know, if you look at the atheist society, that's what they'll say. We don't not believe in God. We just don't believe in God. We believe nothing about God. Uh, most people who call themselves atheists will say, well, I'm an atheist, uh, but I don't believe in God. Uh, they absolutely don't. That's an anti-theist, which is a little bit different. You know, I'm actually against God. They're, they're against God. But they call themselves atheists, so that's the term I'm going to use. Uh, and I have met a lot of them, but I have yet to meet a humble atheist. I just have to be honest with you. They're a little smug. You know, when you have any, oh, you're a Christian. Oh, okay, well, then I'll talk slowly and use small words for you. There's just this certain patronizing attitude that atheists have towards me when they find out that I'm a believer. Oh, okay. Uh, and what they'll tell you is the reason why is, well, that you're just believing still in superstition. I'm really surprised that you would be like superstition and mythology like that. I have evolved to the point where I no longer need that crutch. And that's what they'll tell you. They'll say, I am highly evolved, and so I don't need the crutch that apparently you still need. Well, if you can actually sit down and talk with an atheist, and it's hard to do because they usually don't want to talk uh, because they, most of them don't know what they don't believe or do believe, and they stay away from it. But uh, if they will actually engage you in conversation, I've been able to do this, uh, I find that an atheist is not a man who's highly evolved. An atheist is a man who's been deeply hurt. In almost every case, I, and this is what I've learned to do, I start asking them, did you always not believe in God? They'll say, I guess maybe when I was a kid, you know, I grew out of it. I did believe in God, like when I sucked my thumb. You know, I, guess I grew out of that. You haven't yet. And I said, well, do you remember the moment you stopped believing in God? And that's usually the pivotal moment. If they're really honest, they're going to tell you something happened in their life, and they realize there can't be a God if this is going on right? And so what really happens, and Frank Turp sums this up in one of his debates beautifully, he says, basically, your argument comes to this, there is no God, and I hate him. That's really, honestly, what you end up with, and that's why they're so angry at you for believing in God, because they're actually angry at God. They've learned to hate God. God hates me, that's what it is. Hate him back, it works for me. That's pretty much the whole theology of an atheist, and it is a theology. They're going to consistently, systematically hate God. And it's almost like if, if parents, have you ever had your child tell you they hate you just to make you mad, <laughs> just to get back at you a little bit? I hate you. you know, have you ever told them you hate them? That'll crush them, by the way. <laughs> I hate you. Well, I hate you too. You hate me, mama? You know, it's like really funny how I've watched that whole exchange happen more than once. But this is what they're doing. I think God loves me, so I'll make them mad by telling them I don't believe in them. And, and they're trying to say, you know, I, I don't believe them. And... Um, I used to be smug back, you know, because that's how I respond to smugness uh, and kind of my go-to move is to be smug. And so when they'd say, well, I don't believe in God, I'd say, well, he's not Tinkerbell, you know. 
I think you got him confused. Remember Tinkerbell and Peter Pan? She's dying. I don't know if you had to do this. I had an album when I was a kid with like a storybook. We'd tell you the story. There came a moment when Tinkerbell's dying. And they're like, oh, kids, why, why? Because no one believes in fairies anymore. You have to tell, do you believe in fairies? Do you believe, do you believe? And, they, and I've seen this done in plays. I've seen it done in a movie. And all the kids screaming because they don't want to be responsible for the death of a fairy before their eyes. It's a horrible thing to do to a child if you think about it. We're all screaming, please, no, we believe. Just please don't die. I don't want be f- responsible for that. And then, the, you know, she comes back to life. Because if you don't believe in fairies, they die. But if you don't believe in God, it means nothing. It doesn't make him exist or not exist, your belief. He doesn't need your belief to exist. And that used to be kind of how I'd counter their argument. And, you know, then we would really get in a fight. But I've learned since then uh, to instead listen to them because what there really is there is a very hurt person. And they will usually express their disbelief with this sentence. I can't believe in a God who, and fill in the blank, right? And usually when they fill in the blank, by the way, it won't be their personal story that they just told you. It'll be some national crisis or international crisis. It was the monsoon, the Thailand. How can you believe in a God who let that happen? Did you see that destruction? 9-11, I heard about a lot of that. You know, I can't believe in a God who let 9-11 happen. I can't believe in a God who would let the shootings at Sandy Hook happen. I can't believe in a God who fill in the blank. And so I want to take a look at that because just that sentence tells me that they do believe in a God. And that's the problem with them. That's why they're angry. And so uh, I start asking questions, and some of these might make you guys uncomfortable. Bear with me. But uh, when someone says, I don't believe in a God who, and I'll just pick 9-11 because I was like, I had a lot of conversations with people after that. How can you believe in God who let that happen? My question is, well, why would he have stopped it? Tell me, tell me why you think he should have stopped it. That usually flusters them for a moment. And after they kind of get around it, they usually come out, well, that's evil. What they did was evil, and therefore a good God should have stopped it, which then I come back and say, well, what makes it evil? What, how do you know that's evil? What makes you think that's evil? You know, people are usually looking like I have three heads at this point. How can you not say that's evil? And there's a lot of ways you can go with this, by the way. You know, we can compare this with dropping the atom bomb. We can compare it. But I just want to know, in your mind what makes this evil? And since they're usually stumped at that point because they don't know how they can tell me, I'll say, but if there is no God, then it must mean you believe in evolution, right? And people believe in evolution without even knowing what it says. But so, yes, of course, I believe in evolution. Okay, well, I'm going to just, I'm just going to kind of go past all the reasons why evolution's in kind of an insane theory, but let me just say it's true. According to evolution, then, we all descended from the same gene pool. And when I say all of us, I don't mean just all of us. I mean every living creature. I mean, this amoeba that somehow expanded and and, and dissected and split gave birth to absolutely everything in the world. That's what evolution says. This whole thing, you know, we all came from the same lizard that crawled out of the, uh, the water. Lions and tigers and bears and us, all of us, right? We just happen to be lucky Fortune, there is no God. So it's just lucky that we ended up on the high, f- high end of the food chain. You know, our, our gene pool ends up splitting and, and we become this highly evolved animal called mankind. And we didn't become a tiger or a bear or, or a snail. You know, that's a, a bad luck. You know, we got lucky. Okay, but if I'm just an evolved animal, then why is this evil? And, and the, the problem is that people have this really weird view 
of the animal kingdom. I, I blame Disney, but um, I don't know if you've seen this meme, but you know, this is life without bees, here's life without humans. Isn't it lovely? All the animals lying around by the pool and just you know, singing songs, I guess. They need to get out more. That's really not the way animals are in the wild. You, you really need to take a look at, at how animals behave before you decide that that'd be a better place to live. Because uh, I don't know if you've ever watched any documentaries on lions, but you know, if, a, if there's this lion, this f- lions get together in these things they call prides, right? So you have this, the male lion, and he's, he's the king. And so you've got the female lions that do all the cooking and all the cleaning and all the hunting. It's a great life if you can get it. So they're doing all the work. I really don't even know what the male's there for except to procreate. So he's sitting there, and they're like, you know, taking care of everything, including the kids, all these little cubs running around. It looks so sweet and beautiful, you know, it's this basis of the Lion King, how much fun they're all having. Well, in this pride, there's one main lion. Now, let's say another male lion comes from outside and he sees it. He doesn't go, oh, look, what a sweet family. I wish I had a family like that and keep going. That's not what he does at all. He looks at that male and decides if he can take him. And if he can, he does. And if he can, he'll kill him. And after he kills that lion, guess what else he does? He kills every male cub there because he does not want competition. If lions could, if they had the technology and the ability, they would wipe out all the hyenas in the Serengeti. They don't want any competition for the food. If you want to know how, how animals act, just watch that. Have you ever seen that army of marching ants that goes through Africa, devouring everything in their path? That's what every animal would do if they could. You know, they, they don't want competition. They don't want to live in harmony. They want to wipe out entire species. If they could, they would. You know why? Because they're animals. They're acting exactly like animals. And don't get me started on other stuff, you know, like rape, because that's called reproduction in the wild. I, I don't know if you've ever seen this happen. I, I've seen dogs mate. It is not done with flowers and candy, I can assure you, right? So these things that animals do that we just say, well, that's okay, they're animals. When men do, we say, this is evil. Where does that come from? I'm not disagreeing with it. I'm simply asking, what is your basis for morality if there is no God? Well, it comes from society, right? That's what I tell you. Well, for, you forget, I'm highly evolved. And part of being highly evolved is we created morality. Now, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You can't tell me that morality is part of evolution. Morality is the antithesis of evolution. It's been said, I don't know if you've heard this, it, Gandhi gets attributed to this, it's really not his quote. The greatness of a society can be measured by how it takes care of its weakest member. Have you heard this? And that, you know, that, like Gandhi didn't really say that. Actually, he said something similar about animals. But um, that's how we judge this. This is what we consider moral. A moral per- per- person takes care of the weak. That's why killing children, which is what happened in 9-11, is so horrific to us. Because they're the weakest. They were innocent. They shouldn't have been killed. They had nothing to do with this. And that's, that's what morality says. But you know what evolution says? The weak die first. That's what evolution says. Survival of the fittest. Survival of the strongest. You cannot tell me that morality came from evolution. It's, a, it's exactly opposite of evolution. It didn't come from there. And, and if you're going to say society gives you your morality, good luck with that one. Do you know just a couple hundred years ago, it was completely legal to own slaves. These people would go to a foreign country capture human beings like animals, bring them over in horrible conditions, and chain them up and say, I own you. And it was legal. Was it moral? Can we say that legality makes morality? I hope not. Because there's been a lot of laws that are certainly not moral. There's some going on right now in New York, Virginia. I mean, it's just, 
and, and you want to talk about killing innocents, you know, don't, don't, go, don't go pointing a finger too far. So if you're going to say that society generates morality, you're in trouble. Because every society has things that are definitely not what we would consider moral. Where does your morality come from? It has to come from somewhere. The problem is that we don't know anymore because we already dismissed God. Romans says, claiming themselves to be wise without God, they became utter fools instead. You can't have morality without God. We actually know that because we have no basis for morality unless there's something above us that is good. You can't see shadow without light. You have to have something above you that is good in order to know what evil is. You can't possibly know it without it. In fact, uh, if, if you're just honest and you follow the truth, you realize there has to be something above us, something better than us. Because we're not moral, let's be honest. We're not moral. We do moral things, but we're not at our heart moral. So it's not us. Morality doesn't come from us. It has to come from something bigger than us, something outside of the chaos. Even Einstein knew this. Einstein was, of course, one of the greatest minds of the past couple hundred years. He was a Jew by birth, but not a believer. He, didn't follow, he, wasn't, he wasn't a practicing Jew. He, he was kind of agnostic. He didn't really believe in God. He believed in science. He looked through a Hubble telescope one day, saw God's fingerprints in the stars, and stepped away from it and said this, all that I have seen and all that I know teaches me to believe in a creator that I cannot see and cannot know. He said, there has to be a God. He just, he just, the truth took him there. He had no choice. There has to be a God. The question is, is that God moral? That's his next question. If there is a God, is he moral? Because if he's not moral and good, can you trust him? The worst thing in the world, by the way, would be a God who is immoral. I mean, think about this for a second. Would you want to put your hands in the most powerful being who hated you, if he really hated you? I mean, there's a, I, I don't miss maybe a bad illustration, I don't know, but... Um, you ever go to a dentist? You know the pain a dentist inflicts on you? Do you know how much pain he could inflict on you? Right? Because, uh, you know, somebody was saying once with a dentist, like, you know, I'm I really get a little bit scared because, you know, you're drilling into this tooth that's bad and it can really hurt. He goes, oh, pff, if I wanted to hurt you, I'd drill into one that wasn't bad. That's a scary thing to hear, isn't it? This guy's actually thought about it. If I really wanted to cause pain, I know how to do it. And so if you think about the pain that a dentist has caused you in his chair and he's trying not to, could you imagine being in that same chair when he was trying to hurt you? It's a really terrible thing to have a smart person who has power over you and he's evil. That's a very frightening thing. If God's not moral, we're in trouble, right? But here's the good news. He has to be moral because morality has to come from somewhere and it has to come from God because it can't come from us. If we're the highest life form on earth and we believe in morality, it has to be coming some, from somewhere outside of us because we don't have it. It has to be coming from somewhere greater than us. It has to be coming from the creator. In James, James says this, let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. Not only he says, can God not be evil, you can't even tempt him with evil. He won't even consider it. God's just good. And he has to be, because if he weren't, we'd be in a lot of trouble. Well, couldn't it just be a prankster God? You know, kind of lives like a frat boy, loves to pull pranks. I know what I'll do. I'll create people, and I'll make them moral, even though they can't do it, and I'll laugh and watch them struggle. That can't be, because that God wouldn't know what morality is. There has to be somewhere 
that we can look to that is what morality is. Without light, we have no shadow. There has to be. There has to be some sort. Well, okay, um, could there be more than one God? What about that? Because there seem to be a lot of religions. What about there's a lot of gods out there? Again, even the polytheistic religions always have one God in charge because there has to be one sense of absolute right and absolute wrong. You can't have multiple gods all sharing the same role. You can't. You have to have one God who's in charge. So let me get to the question that's kind of the question of the day. Well, can't all religions simply be worshiping the same God? This is the coexist bumper sticker. Have you seen it? Coexist with all the symbols from all the religions all together. You know, I don't know. They keep showing that. I guess they figure about 30 or 40 more of those will have peace on earth. We just get, get enough people to put this bumper sticker on our car and everything will be set, right? All we got to do is all got to get along. Couldn't it be that there is one God and all these religions are just simply ways of reaching him and we're all trying to reach the same God? And the answer to that question is no. That's, that's not possible. How do we know that's not possible? Well, if all religions were created by man, in our understanding, and our knowledge, that would be possible. It's like when they're trying to learn how to fly, right? The Wright brothers and all these people, they're all trying to fit, they're all studying birds and looking at things. How do things heavier than air fly? And people are working on it. And they, through human understanding and engineering, started making planes and things. And eventually they start sharing their knowledge. And eventually now all of mankind ex exists and we believe there is one perfect aerodynamic airfoil right? You can tweak or something. We know now how, because we've, we've gathered all our knowledge together. And that's what people want to say about religion. This is what's going on. And someday we'll see that they're all one. No, we can't have that. And the reason is that all major religions claim to have revelation, meaning God started it. Every religion did not come from man's mind. It came from God's mind. Um, an angel spoke to Muhammad and told him about Allah. He wrote down the Quran. That's how, that's how Islam started. Uh, the, the Jewish God speaks to a lot, but mainly Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then Moses comes along and writes everything down. And that's how Judaism was founded. We take Judaism and we add God himself came here in Jesus Christ and spoke. And then we wrote that down. That's part of it. But again, it's revealed by God. Even Buddha reached this total enlightenment and the universe told him everything. But in every case, there's some kind of a prophetic thing where God is speaking and telling you this is the truth. And the religions disagree. A moral God couldn't do that because that means either the religion's lying or God's lying. Take your pick. Because there's certain things in religions that just aren't compatible. That's why we're at war with other religions. That's why we've seen wars over religions because the, the religions are so incompatible that men fought over them. That's because they're not compatible. A moral God could not have done that. A God who tells the truth couldn't have done that. He had to lie to somebody because somebody's not right. If all religions claim that they were revealed by God, that means that not all religions can be right. The question is, can all religions be wrong? And the answer to that question is actually yes. Theoretically, I'm just using logic now, I'm not using the Bible. Theoretically, all religions could be wrong. It seems highly unlikely. I'll give you some reasons why I don't believe that's true. But that's true. But you can't have more than one religion right. Because they, they contradict each other. And a true God couldn't do that. 
So we have to say there is only one true religion or no religion's true. Now, atheists try to use that as a, as a means to say, well, that's why I'm an atheist. I don't know if you've ever heard this argument. Here's Ricky Gervais, um, kind of a strange comedian from, from England, uh, explaining it to Stephen Colbert, two great minds of our time talking. Um, you believe in one God, I assume. Okay, so you believe... Okay. Mm -hmm. So... But there, there are about 3,000 to choose from that have been, you know, people who believe in I've the I've done time. some reading, yeah. Okay, yeah. So, so basically, you believe in... You, you, you deny one less God than I do. You don't believe in 2,999 gods, uh -huh. and I don't believe in just one more. Right. <laughs> okay, so, so wrong, uh, because that's not how truth works. And it's frustrating me that everybody's applying this and laughing. First of all, uh, Ricky Gervais did not come up with that. Believe me, this was, in, this, this was originally that, uh, that I know of, proposed by Richard Dawkins in his famous book. And he's just basically taking credit for it. Um, but that's not how truth works. We just said, you know, kind of looking at it logically, if all religions are revealed, there's only couldn't be one that's true. It's a, it's a true statement. You, you can't say that there are more than one truth. So he says, well, I've, I've it'd be like, give me a real simple example of this. You and your friends take a test. You come out of the test and they say, hey, what did you get to answer number 19? Before you can answer, one of your friends says, oh, that, uh, that was a trick question. I wrote N-A on it. That's a trick question. Well, what do you mean? Well, I went through A, B, and C, and they were all wrong. And you say, yeah, but D was right. Ah, we basically said the same thing. You know, uh, you disagree with three of the answers, and I just want one more. Yeah, but that was the right answer, right? That, that's how truth works. If, if, if there's only one right answer, that means that the other 2,999 are wrong. That's how truth works. And so try to say, well, we're, you know, we're all together on this. No, we're not. Because, first of all, there's no way he looked at 2,999 religions, trust me. And, and second of all, uh, I don't agree with you because my religion's right. And if you dismiss it, you're wrong because that's how truth works. The other thing about it is that if you say, okay, well, there are these religions, and how do we know that ours is right? My question is, are, are you examining it? Are you trying it? You know, God tells you, you know, to examine all things, hold fast to what is true. Have you done that? See, he hasn't, and I, I don't, I've never talked to him, but I can promise you there's some tragedy in his life that's keeping him from doing it. And he has a pretty good life right now. He doesn't want God to pop in. He kind of like, I've seen him in other interviews. He says, I love life. You know, I have a great life. He does. I mean, he gets to go around mocking things and people pay him money. That's a pretty good life if he can get it. And so he's enjoying his life. He doesn't want to know what God has to say about it. He doesn't want there to be a God. So I just don't believe in one. Like that makes it go away. That's like saying there's a buffalo charging me, but I'm a vegetarian, so he'll leave me alone. That's not how it works, right? He just keeps coming. And you can't just simply say, well, I don't believe in God, so he's not there. In fact, if any one of those 3,000 religions is right, Ricky's in a lot of trouble because every one of those religions says, oh, by the way, if you don't believe in God, try to meet God, and you, and you reject God, it doesn't end well for you. Every one of them. You would think that if he wants to be honest, intellectually honest, and not intellectually lazy, that he would say, well, I kind of need to know this. Because if there is the creator of heaven and earth who wants to communicate with me and I'm rejecting that, that's the stupidest thing you could possibly imagine. Especially since all the religions talk about an afterlife. There's something that goes after this, which is bigger and longer than this. It's just stupid to reject that out of hand because I don't want it to be true. You just, you just can't do that. Uh, so let me give you another example of a guy who is seeking truth and wouldn't give up. You guys have heard of him. His name's Thomas Edison. 
Now, Thomas Edison invented a lot of things. One of them was the light bulb, which is when I was a kid, that's what he always invented. Like, that was it. You know, in third grade, what did Thomas Edison do? He invented a light bulb. As far as I was concerned, that was it. It wasn't until later I found out, you know, he, like, has a record for the number of patents held by anybody. But an interview, uh, a reporter was interviewing Thomas Edison and said, um, tell me about inventing the light bulb. And he was saying the hardest part of inventing the light bulb wasn't getting started. It was the final part, which is the filament, which is that little tiny wire that goes between the two poles that gets charged with electricity. He said that was very difficult because what has to happen, it has to vibrate enough that it gets bright and gets hot. Remember the old bulbs, how hot they got. Uh, but it has to withstand it for a long period of time to make the bulb useful. And he said, I went through all kinds of things. And the reporter said, how many? He said, well, I'd have to count them up from my notes, but at least a thousand. And the reporter said, that's incredible. He said, how did you keep going after you had failed 999 times? And Edison got angry. He said, I did not fail 999 times. I discovered 999 ways that it wouldn't work because he wanted to invent the light bulb. He wasn't looking for a reason to quit. He said, that won't work. I'm going to keep going. Does it matter to you or not? He was driven, and I don't know what drives inventors, but something was driving him to invent this. He needed to get it done. It was important to him. He lost sleep over it. And it was important to him. And yet, we're talking about something really a lot more important than the light bulb, important to all of us. And people are saying, eh, I'm okay with not thinking about it very much. I'm just going to be a little bit intellectually lazy, or I'm going to be a little bit intellectually dishonest. And I'm going to say, I've thought about it enough. My head hurts. I'm stopping. Here's the thing. Since the beginning of civilization, every culture that we know of believed in God. In fact, when I was in school and I took a humanities class, we were taught that religion and belief in God was one of the five essential needs of mankind. It was that obvious. I don't know what they teach now, but that's what we were taught in school. Because everybody, I mean, it doesn't matter. You go to Mayan, go to Aztec, go to Native American, you go to the Navajo, you go, go to uh, Romans, Greeks, Persians, Babylonians, Egyptians, Hebrews. doesn't matter. Every civilization that we can point to that lasted more than a blip believed in God. And there was a whole part of their culture devoted to trying to figure out who God was. Now, sometimes it's out of fear, and you know, we got to stop the angry volcano God by throwing virgins into it. But sometimes it was just, I, we need to know. But always there was a sense that if there is a God, we better know who he is, or she, or it. We better know who that is because it's the most important thing. Now, we don't know how long mankind has been alive on earth. There's a lot of controversy on that. Some people say a billion years. Some people say 4,000. I think it's less than a billion, and I think it's a lot more than 4,000. So let's just pick a number. Let's say 100,000 years of historical evidence supports the idea that religion's part of our DNA. Where'd that come from? Why is every civilization that we have ever discovered, no matter how far back we go, why do they believe in God? Why? And why were they sure there was a God? 100,000 years of experience against Ricky Gervais' 40. Really? I'm gonna listen to that guy? 100,000 years of evidence says, no, there must be a God. What changed? Nothing has changed. Getting smarter hasn't, hasn't denied God. Getting smarter has only made us more aware of God, actually. If you follow the science, it, like Einstein did, it shows there has to be a creator. And, and internally, we know there has to be a creator because we know there's such a thing as evil. We might disagree on what the definition is, but we know there is a definition for evil, and we know there's a definition for moral, and we know there's a definition for good. We know there is. Where's that coming from? 
especially if we can't all agree. Where's that coming from? Well, according to religion, especially ours, it comes from a God who created us and is separated from us and wants to reconnect with us. That's our religion. That's what, in fact, that's Judeo-Christian religion. There's a God who created us, and we're separated because of what we did, not what he did. And he really wants us back. That's our religion. If that's true, how can we not want to know? Even if it's going to prove to be false, we need to know. Because it changes everything. If he's out there, and 100,000 years of people have tried to get to there. So why are we discarding it now? Here's the thing. Uh, sometimes people get very comfortable with what they're doing. And I said, I kind of like this life. I'll just live this. In fact, I don't know Ricky Gervais. I think if I sat down and talked with him, I said, do you realize if you're wrong? You know, he said, I don't care. It's a gamble I'm willing to take because I'm really digging my life right now. And I like living this way. What about, what, what would we say to a child who told us that? Imagine if you, you meet a five-year-old kid and he has three things he likes in life. He likes to eat cereal. He likes to read and watch movies about superheroes, and he likes to watch TV. Three things in life. What would you say about him? Well, he's a typical five-year-old. You know, maybe video games is in there. That's typical. That's what five-year-olds like to do. Okay. What about with that same kid in high school? He's failing because all he wants to do is eat cereal, sit around and watch TV, and read comic books. What would you say to that kid? When are you going to get your life together? When are you, 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 you can't do this forever. You know, there has to come a time in your life where you do more of this. No, I'm really liking this. I really enjoy my cereal. I have several different kinds I've liked by now. And I really enjoy my comic books. I have a whole collection. And I'm digging watching TV. But what about paying the bills? Mom pays the bills. I'm fine. But then mom dies. What happens to that person then? Their life gets very short very fast. Because, well, for one thing, I don't know how much nutrition you have from eating cereal all day long. But for very, very, very brief, they're not going to live very long. They're not going to make it. They're going to live a very short period of time. And they may have had everything available to them. They may have had all kinds of opportunities in their lives. And they just gave it up because they like cereal and they like superheroes and like television. I like this. I'm enjoying living like this. I'm going to keep living like that. What would you say to your child who saw that adult I don't know how long they live, maybe 20-something before they finally die from exploded hearts because of the crap in cereal, you know? And, 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 but, but your child's visiting them in the hospital and said, well, I want to do that. No, you, no, 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 you don't. Do you understand? This person's never going to know what life really happens. They're never going to be married. They're going to have kids. They're going to have a family. They're going to get no satisfaction of doing anything worthwhile. They're, they're going to have none of these things. They have a pathetic little life that's okay for a five-year-old, but it's not okay for a 15-year-old, let alone where they are now. And they're going to live a very short period of time. They've, tra they've traded all of the life that you're supposed to have for this little tiny sliver of it that seems okay to them now. Well, if that's what you would say about that, what do you say about somebody who trades 80 years for 80,000? Because according to our scriptures, after this is forever. 80,000 doesn't even start. 800,000, 8 million. Who would take that trade? I'm going to trade 80 good years. I don't care what happens to the next 80,000. Just give me 80 good years. That might seem okay when you're in year 40 of 80. I promise you it's not going to seem so good 10,000 years after. Why did I make that deal? Too late. 
because that's kind of how it goes. Jesus tells a story about this in Luke uh, chapter 16. I'll, I'll end with this. He said, there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate. Now, I apologize, because Jesus is going to get uncharacteristically graphic here. Covered with sores and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides him, the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Ugh. Just a disgusting picture, right? Those poor dogs, that's what you're all thinking, right? Those poor dogs, get them food. Um, okay, so this disgusting picture, this poor guy, he's poor, he's got nothing. This guy's eating everything and the crumbs are dropping. Now, the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Now, Abraham in this story is going to be symbolic of God, and God because he's telling us to Jews. And the rich man also died and he was buried, but he, was, he went to hell. And when he was there, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and he saw Abraham far away. And there was this Lazarus, this, this punk who stayed by his doorstep and had the sores. There he is, right next to him, like they're buddies. And he looks up and he says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus so that he may just dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony by this flame. I, I, this is so miserable. Just a, just a little bit of mercy, please. There is none. Abraham says, you know what? Remember that during your life, you got good things. And Lazarus got the bad things. But he's being comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides, there's this chasm between you and me, and I could get there if I wanted to. And so then he says, okay, well, if you can't help me, I beg you, <clears throat> that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers. He needs to tell them and warn them so they won't have this torment. That seems like a reasonable request. And Abraham says, no, nah, they have Moses and the prophets. What he's saying is they got the Bible. That's the word of God. They have the word of God. He's describing your Bible. They have it. They don't, they don't need somebody else. They got, they got what they need. And he says, no, no, listen. Father Abraham, if someone goes back to them from the dead, then they'll listen. I want you to see what he says. This is God speaking. No, they won't. They didn't listen to the word. Even someone coming back to life isn't going to change their mind. Ricky Gervais could watch a miracle happen in front of his eyes. He would, it would change nothing. I, I sometimes have people come and they'll ask for a healing for somebody in their family. In that branch of the family, there's no one saved. And they'll say this. I know if God would heal them, the whole family would repent. No, they won't. There were probably people who had been healed by Jesus Christ screaming to crucify him. We have very short memories when it comes to God's goodness. It's amazing how fast we forget how good God is. He's saying, no, if you won't listen to the word, it doesn't matter what miracle's done in your life. You won't listen to that either. That's just a smokescreen. What we need to do is we need to listen to the word. When God reveals something, we need to follow that. When we, when we see God showing us something, we need to say, okay, let me not just forget this. Let me drill down on this. Let me go pursue this like breadcrumbs. Let me, let me let, let it take me back to where it came from because where it came from is the hand of God. We need to be as tenacious with the things God shows us, the little things, as Edison was with his light bulb. I don't care. I'm going to keep pressing in. I'm going to keep coming on because the most important thing to me is to find out where this goodness comes from. If I can trace the goodness back to the source, if I can know that person, 
then everything else doesn't matter. Do you have the courage to follow the truth wherever it leads you? Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are who you are.